Hello and welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host Shane Lee. Today on the show, John Stephenson, a former Australian Commonwealth Games and Olympic track and field athlete, specialising in the 200 and 400 metre races. He won silver in the 2004 Olympic Games in Athens in the 4x400-meter relay and gold in both the 400-meter and 4x400-meter relay in the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne in 2006. Post-career, he's made a leap into motor racing, driving for Porsche in 2018. He also has a love of boxing and the MMA and is part of Australia's number one daily sports podcast, Afternoon Sport. And Patrick Johnson, a former Australian Commonwealth Games and Olympic athlete, specializing in the 100 and 200-meter races. In 2003, he recorded a time of 9.93, becoming the first person of non-African ancestry to break the 10-second barrier in the 100 metres. He won bronze in the 4x100-metre relay in 2002 Commonwealth Games, and post-career is helping Indigenous athletes reach their dreams through sport. Let's get started. All right, guys, on the show today, um, John Stephenson, a former Australian Commonwealth Games and Olympic track and field athlete. Welcome, Johnny Stephenson. How are you, mate? Hey, brother Shane, man. What, hey, man. Damn, I was good, huh? You were good, man. <laughs> <laughs> and also, Patrick Johnson, another former Australian Commonwealth Games and Olympic athlete. Welcome, Patrick. How are you, mate? Yeah, brother, thank you. Um, yeah, it's a sort of hearing that back, you know, it's the first Australian to ever run sub 10. It's always an honour, and um, no doubt we're going to get some. Exceptional athletes coming out, particularly in the Olympic year as well. Yeah, fantastic. And so, how how long have you two known each other, Johnny? Yeah, we've been what seventeen years now, eh, Patrick? I think we first met in two thousand and three. That's when I started. I uh, made my first Australian team, and at that time, Patrick was he was the man, not only in Australia but in the world when he came yeah. hundred meters. And um, and Patrick really um, always made time for me um, and without any prejudice, you know, in, in the sense where he didn't have to because he, at the time he was a superstar, right? Um, but he always made time for whatever um, need I had or uh, for whatever question, whether it was dumb or smart, you know, he'd be there to offer some advice, you know. And and look, it's hard paving the way, man. What Patrick was doing at the time, um, when, when you talk 10 seconds now, when you're saying Bolt into the game, you know, 10 seconds, everybody's running 10 seconds now, you know, under 10 seconds, sorry. But at the time when Patrick did it, uh, 10993 was the number one time in the world. It stayed. Yeah. I mean, Patrick ended. Patrick was number one in the world in 2003 um, at the Paris World Championships. Um, but I, I, I blame our Australian season for the reason why he didn't win World Championships because it's just such a long year and long season. But did Patrick have the pedigree to be number one in the world? He did that, yes. Should he have won World Champs? I believe yes. Patrick, it's nice to hear those kind words from John. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, you, you look back in your career and you hope you've made that impact, not only what's on the record books, but yeah. uh, the people you meet. And, you know, I've always felt that, you know, you got to see your extension of what you are in sport and life after sport, which is really important. And, and John's done that in leaps and bounds. And I think, you know, from the initial stages, I said, well, you're going to be more than the sport. Um, yeah. You know, you get out there and perform, but your extension of your country, who you are, um, what you stand for, what you believe in. And that's where I think myself and John have had that relationship over the years there. We're not shy from the fact that we want to make the impact, but you've got to lead by example. Uh, and that's always been, you know, proof in the pudding that you can talk about what other people are going to do, what you might achieve, but let your performance talk and, and, and get it done. 
Yeah, and and Patrick, like the way John explained you then to him, what what he what you mean to him, but um, it's almost like a like a big brother. Uh, and and you seem to be doing that post career as well with other athletes. Yeah, definitely. I felt that you know, with with, with any career that you have in life, you, you've got to make that impact. You know, a lot of times you look at track and field; it's so individual in sport. You've got to figure yourself. But I always felt that when I stopped, when I finished the race, I'm still the same person. Um, I might be focused on my lane, but guess what? I'll shake your hand. I'll talk to you. Um, I'll give you that respect. But also, you got to give me that respect as well. But mm-hmm. the funny thing is, I've always given respect first to people before even they giving it to me. So I've always been brought up that, you know, you treat people with decency. Um, If they choose not to, that's their issue. Uh, But the reality is you're here for one moment in life to make that impact on old people. Well said, mate. Johnny, when did you first realise you you could run fast? I think when you you love sport, you know you you either got a strong arm, a good kick, um, a good takeoff, or good endurance, yep. right? I, mm-hmm. I think they're, they're the natural sort of highlights when you're a younger kid, when you're playing sport, whether it's in the backyard or whether it's at school or whether it's at a club, right? Yeah. Um, I always knew I had a bit of wheels on me, but when the, the time I actually decided to take it, take it professionally was at the end of 2002 into 2003. So I'd only been running for like eight months before I made world championships in 03. So I came from boxing and boxing really hardened me mentally. By the time I got to running, man, Running was so easy because when I lost, I just walked off the track. In boxing, when you lost, you were bruised, your ego was hurt, you know, it was, it was a mess, man, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I, I always knew I, I had a love for sport. I always knew that if I put my mind to something that I'd be okay at it. But from when I was 20, turning 21 is when I really dedicated my life to the sport um, to really get the most out of myself because I realized if I didn't do that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to attain the top echelon in the world. And, and Patrick, you were born in Cairns, so was my dad, mate. So I know there's good there's good pedigree up there, mate. Um, but uh, uh, your dad was Irish. He was he was a amateur boxer and a, um, a deep sea fisherman, I believe. And your mother was indigenous. So you had a an interesting upbringing. Yeah, I mean, say the least. You know, born on a speedboat on route to Cairns yeah. Hospital, lived on a boat for about seventeen years. So I was probably a better swimmer than runner. Uh, <laughs> it's like anything in life, you, you make the most of your opportunities and. If the opportunity is not there, you go out and get it. Uh, for me, I didn't start running until I was 24. So I basically had all the doubters from day one to say, oh, you're too old, mate. You never trained. Uh, yeah. Who do you think you are? And I was like, hang on. How do you judge me when I don't even know what I'm capable of doing? <laughs> so let me do what I'm going to do first. And then you can, you, can, you can debate how good I am or how not good I am. <laughs> I uh, said, so let me figure out for myself so you guys can – you can. and there's a running commentary, you know. It's like, oh, you know, you're too, you know, what are you doing? You can't run. You don't know what you're doing. And I'm like, okay, that's great, guys. Thank you for that opinion. But I'll keep it to myself. And I've always felt that there's always been a ceiling, um, particularly in sport, and I've always felt, no, hang on, never limit your ability and what other people think of you. Yeah, well said. But it's Mate. funny, uh, Shane, you know, yeah. um, Patrick started as 24 – and they told him he's too old. I started when I was 20, turning 21. So I never did juniors. I never been scout. I never was an institute. I remember they didn't want me. And I moved to America and, and lived on my, I mean, to Sydney first, lived on my auntie's couch. And I trained with Michael Camel and Matt Shervington. At the time, Patrick was was doing his thing. And I think there was Carl Vandekup, who was a 110-meter hurdler as well. There was a younger yep. guy called Tim Ewan, who, who was a Jeans West model. 
Um, mm. and, uh, and there was Anthony Forster Jones, who was also a hurdler. Um, they all trained together. And then I remember we were in Runaway Bay once and uh, in 2003 and Patrick had a massive season. Um, and we just finished national. So Patrick, did you come, I don't know if Patrick, did you come with us to Byron Bay? We went, went to the beach that day. Were you with us? I'm sure you were with us that day. I don't think you came, but we were all at Runaway Bay and that was like, we all had the same. So like hearing Patrick say that we all had the same mentality with let, it's almost that let me prove you wrong because in, unfortunately at that time in athletics, um, if you weren't part of the right training group or you weren't a part of the, or you weren't part of the, I guess the official dem or the right side of the official dem on the selection, or you didn't have, your coach wasn't the right side of that, or you didn't come from a pedigree of the right coach as a junior, your pathway was really, really hard, right? So you, you, you either on that side where you got favors or you're on the other side and it, you don't get to choose. It was just, it was just the way it was. Well, that's how, that gotcha. was, that was sort of my, you know, um, perception and my feeling on how it went down. And uh, I think that's what I recognize in, in PJ because let's call it a fast. Matt Shervington was the, was, was the golden boy. Right. Yeah. And, and yet here came PJ who just, who was actually doing better than what Matt was doing, but they always found a way to kind of look at it a little sideways. You know what I mean? So then Patrick gets, is that right? Then boom, again, another record, boom, nine seconds in Perth, under 10 seconds, under 10 seconds in Perth, boom, next day, under 10 seconds again. You know, he ran it in a club, then ran it at the the the, the summer series meet. Um, and then obviously we know went to Hiroshima, went to first to Japan. I think he ran 10-0 somewhere. And then he went to Hiroshima mm. and ran 9-9 nine, 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 so, and broke the Australian record. Um, and that's just the facts. I mean, it's, it's hard for us to talk about it without sounding, I guess, butthurt. But yeah. but that's what I that's that's what I saw, which then when I saw Patrick show that level of stoicness, um, that level of determination. I just thought as a young guy, oh shit, that's what we got to do. Okay, cool. So then I did, I just followed in that footsteps of proving people wrong and, and, and being me on and off the track. That, that's it. It's funny you say, so Patrick, yeah, starting at 24, Glenn McGrath, the cricketer, Glenn was trying to be a batsman up to the age of 23 and uh, he realised that probably wasn't for him and he became a fast bowler. So thank God he did. But um, at, at what sort of age, Patrick, do, do sprinters really sort of peak? Roughly. <laughs> well, I think 24 hours. Like, if you look at what I've got to explain, you know, you're asking the wrong person. I know, I know, but it's, it's interesting. Yeah, like, this, Pat, Patrick's a unicorn, man. He doesn't count. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I didn't understand always an age or where your background, where you're from. I've always felt that isn't it isn't Australia, it's us Australians against the rest of the world. Yeah. And I've I never understood the whole I, I don't mind the state rivalry stuff, but I was like, come on, man, we've got to beat the Americans, the Macons, the Europeans, you know? Like, we're worried about, you know, New South Wales versus ACT or Queensland. I'm like, great, that works for football, which is great, but we're talking about the world of athletics. Yeah. And it's, it's worldwide. And, and, you know, and I thought, oh, come on, let's rise above this. And a lot of times it's the mental state where you've got to start thinking, well, hang on, why do I do what I do? Mm. Why do I love it? Why do I go to six hours a day of training? You know, and, and, and it's funny, like, you know, of course, Matt, you know, he was one of the best athletes in the same time as me, and we challenged each other and pushed each other. But the shame, shame, we never trained together. Right. And I thought, hang on, isn't it me and you, Matt, against the rest of the world? Yeah. But it never happened. So, look, I totally thought, well, hang on. I've got to do it myself. Isn't that funny? It's, it's, it's really interesting um, comment you made there because – 
I, uh, coming from you know, the background cricket and playing team sports, I always found um, individual sports um, different to me because I, I, did, I did do them myself. But you both, you both meddled in, in relays, which is interesting, which effectively, I know it's four individuals running their partner race, but that, that's a team sport effectively, isn't it, John? Yeah, I, Patrick's nicer than me. I, I hated everybody, so I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> if you if you were racing against me, I wanted your blood. Like I, I just kept thinking like like you're taking food at the table from me, and and I got I was lucky. I got to train with like when I won my relay silver medal in Athens. Three of the guys in the team, I trained with every day. So, but I still hated them. But but when it came to work. And when I use the word hate, I mean, I had a really competitive rivalry with them, put it that yeah, way, sure. where where I just thought it's I'm better than you and no matter what happens, I'm going to do whatever I can to beat you, no matter what. And But we still found a way to train harmoniously. We did use each other at times and our coach did separate us because he understood there was this healthy competition and this, this real alpha uh, energy that was going on in our group. But we won a silver medal together, you know? So yeah. when he came to work and he came to business, we, we knew how to handle our business. I think it's just, it, that was that era at that, at that time where we knew how to do that. But at the same time, you know, three months later, we're racing against each other again for those same spots to make the team. So um, if you couldn't compartmentalize that and separate, you know, work from your emotions and your passions and what you want to achieve personally, you are going to battle, you know what I mean? But I think mm. that, that comes with professionalism, right? And, and you learn that as you mature through guys like Patrick when you're younger or guys like myself that are younger kids. So, you know, there's been heaps of kids I've worked with post well, when I was in Patrick's position, which got relay medals because I was the older guy in the team. I was able to explain to them that, that we're here as Australia take on the world. So it's best that you put your best foot forward and not look at me and worry, be worried about me, be worried about the, the other countries and other lanes. So, yeah, but no, I, I don't know. I mean, I just wanted to, Damn smash, man! That, that was like Hulk, like this Hulk smash. Like I was, anybody got in my way, like Patrick said, I just wanted to beat everyone in the world. I just thought I was the best in my head. Every day I told myself that I didn't, I didn't question it or doubt it at all. I just knew that in my head that I wanted to be the best, and that was going to be it. I'm going to die trying. And Patrick, you, um, you raced against the, the likes of the Linford Christies and the Carl Lewises. Were there any, were there any um, athletes that you got on a track with and just thought, wow, man? Am I good enough? Did you question yourself? What was going through your mind? I think one of my first international races was against uh, you know people like uh, Donovan Bailey and yeah, uh, and you think, wow, thank you, Fredericks. And I, I think, well, hang on, you know, I'm here for a reason. You know, you you can talk about you know, are you ready? Are you? That's all the training, that's the preparation, that's the experience. But at the end of the day, I did it because I loved it and I wanted to win. Um, I and sometimes through that period, I when I lost. And similar to what John mentioned, I hated it. But that pushed me to be even better. Yeah. Um, and the maturity to use your energy at the right time. No point jumping around and, and you know, if you can't win your race. Like, you've got to be that combination where, you know, from, from an example, like, I would go out shopping. Here's an example. I would do, go and buy a nice shirt for myself. Yep. Um, so because <laughs> I reward myself because I know I was going to go out later. Because yep. I won the race and I've got a nice shirt to show them. Uh, so that's my mentality is like, bang, Patrick, reward yourself now, not after, because you're going to win this race. So it's that self confidence. But I didn't need to tell anyone, I did it on the track. 
Johnny, what were you doing, man? What was, I was your? Getting, I was getting haircuts. Listen, no, no, listen. Let me tell you something about PJ, man. Drop some dirt on him. PJ was the freshest, was the freshest hundred meter runner in the world. He always had the fresh shirt with the fresh shoes yep. with the mean day. PJ, don't, don't, don't come in front of me, brother. I'm gonna spill, I'm gonna spill your tea. And second of all, PJ was the most focused. If you go to a championships, he was methodical in his approach. Um, he would not waste any energy uh, mingling too much, sitting down in the dining hall, wasting time talking to people. He would be he, he would be like a surgeon when he got to a championship. And that's something I learned as a younger guy. And it's, it's, this generation's really changed. Like they they really and I work at the federation now. It's it's completely different that type of focus. And it's it's hard for me working with the young athletes because I go, it's a fine line, right? Because we evolve right as human sure, beings and, sure. and you, you can't say Patrick's way is the only way or my way is the only way or mm. this new generation way is the only way but I do look at some of the f- fundamentals and, and that ability to isolate yourself so you can really focus in because you every four years you're asked to compete at the best of your ability for three days if you can't narrow in your focus and exhort and really extract the best out of yourself you've wasted four years so I always feel that there's an element of that 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 the, how methodical PJ would be at a championships, or I would be, or, or and I watch some of the some of the greats I've been able to train with. Um, I, I think there's some importance. I mean, PJ did that a lot when he when he went oh, from what I seen as a younger guy um, in the team when he got ready to run. Let's take a break here um, on the menu today. It's going to be a nice, healthy lunch today. We got some John Dory fillets. We're going to serve with it with a nice Greek salad. A glass of Chardonnay, I reckon, and of course, an O'Brien beer. As a professional sports person, I knew the value of a good coach, and being a business owner is no different. With the Business Coach from Growth Workshop, you can build the business you've always dreamed of, a valuable business that runs by itself. If you need to take control of your future with a winning strategy, Growth Workshop specializes in improving your cash flow, developing sales and marketing strategies to drive revenue, and getting those ideas out of your head into an action plan. Growth Workshop will help you develop a business plan and achieve your financial goals with regular guidance from our experienced team. Whether you want to drive revenue with a new marketing strategy or put the right team and systems in place, we'll help you free up from the day-to-day and allow you to grow your business. We can help. Get in touch with Growth Workshop Business Coaching at growthworkshop.com.au to book in for your no-obligation strategy session. Growth Workshop, turning your good idea and hard work into a valuable asset. John O'Brien is a legend of Australia's beer industry. In 2003, he dreamed of producing a great-tasting beer that could be enjoyed by everyone, free from the ill effects of mass-produced wheat and barley. John began a brewing journey blending unique aromas and flavours offered by ancient grains such as sorghum and millet. He perfected recipes over time which have led to 40 local and international awards, including three gold medals at the Australian International Beer Awards, a gold medal at the Indies and a silver medal at the Beer World Cup. Proudly 100% Aussie-owned, made in Ballarat, O'Brien Beer is Australia's most awarded gluten-free beer and widely available around Australia through major retailers and online at rebellionbrewing.com.au. O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves your back. Hey, Johnny, I've, I've always wanted to know, and I asked you this, this question too, Patrick, but what, what's it actually like? You, you, you compete in, a, in a, a Commonwealth or Olympic Games and you've got all these athletes from all around the world that are pretty much probably have not drunk or they've eaten well for probably four or more years leading up to it. 
someone may may have abstained from sex. What what's it like in at the after games? After the games, that party. Talk me through that, Johnny. Got your fresh shirt on. You've had your had your hair cut. Exactly. What's happening? Patrick had the fresh shirt with the yeah. fresh loafers on. <laughs> and Patrick was the first guy to run the real tight jeans too back in the day. Wow. <laughs> head of his time. <laughs> head of his time, you know what I mean? No, no, no. I don't know. Like, I don't I was, I've never, I could never really hunt that well after. I don't know. Because our event was always the last event mm-hmm. at a championships. The four by four is the last event at most championships. So, we were right towards, by the time we try to hit the streets, everyone's tapped out. So we, we ne- I never really got to, I never really got to experience the fun side of things, but I don't know. I'll tell you a funny story, guys. I was at Commonwealth Games and I won Commonwealth in Melbourne. I was very good friends with a swimmer called Brett Hawk, who coaches now that, that Cody Simpson um, is trying to make the Olympics uh, in the, in a hundred free style and swimming. And, um, and I was with Grant Hackett, Michael Klim and Brett, Eamon Sullivan and I was I never really hung around the track athletes on teams I just never felt um, comfortable or welcome so I always hung around other sports and I was I was in the swimming building and I was always hanging every night and I was always good friends with Brett uh, and so anyway the opening ceremony is coming and I've never been to one I never went to one Olympic Games I never went to one of World Champs never went to one at Commonwealth and this is the first one and, and I said Brett should I go to the opening ceremony and he goes he looked at me with pure disgust and he goes what do you mean he goes mate Opening ceremonies for spectators that are happy to be here. He goes, you go to the closing ceremony, you do medals around your neck, celebrating what you've just achieved. And it resonated with me. And I never did an opening ceremony through my – and I made 13 team national teams. I never did one, three Olympics, never did one opening ceremony because he was – in my head, he was 100% bang on. I was able to win four medals over my career, whether it's in real or individual. And I think, like Patrick said, you were going there to take on the world. I have a job to cool. do. And, um, and, and and that's to answer your question about what the vibe is in the party. I, I never really got to experience the set except for closing ceremonies when it was pretty much wrapping up and, and I was able to celebrate with my team or, or the people that I love um, with some 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 uh, hardware around my neck. And how do you find it, Patrick? We only went to one opening ceremony and that was Sydney Olympics. So okay. other than that, um, my head was focused. And, sure. You know, like, like John mentioned, it's, we're there for one reason, you know, every four years, you know, you can't miss it, and particularly in the 100 metres, you're blessed <laughs> you go another four years. <laughs> you know, there's all that training for four years and what you put your heart and soul into. Um, and I think, you know, that's reality. But for me, a lot of times we had competitions after any major event. Um, so that's where we would sort of make a little bit of living after the big Olympic Games because, you know, let's be honest, John, in the days that, there wasn't a lot of money in track and field uh, compared to nah, the Patrick, you, you took all the money. What do you mean? <laughs> PJ took all the money. Boys, there's not letting for you. You took all the money. He had an Audi. He had, he had these nice rings and chains. PJ, don't tell the people that. That's where I learned to spend money from PJ. <laughs> uh, you're a good one, God. But no, I think it's important that, you know, particularly overseas, we ran against the best guys overseas after a big championship. Um, so that's how... You know, even for me, running, you know, those five or six years before I ran the sub-10, you know, a lot of the Americans, Jamaicans didn't even talk to me. Really, is that right? You're not a runner. Like, you haven't run the sub-10, so don't, don't come and Because it's a sub-10 club. Yeah, gotcha. You know, you're, you're elite in the world. There's only... Shane, can I ask PJ a question? Sure, mate. Far away. PJ, this, this always, uh, like, I always wondered this. I've never spoken to you about this. How did... Do you feel in 2003 when you were number one in the world 
that you should have won world championships after seeing the outcomes. So watching Kim Collins out of lane one run 10.03, do you look back and go, that was a missed opportunity for me. I should be world champion. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and that, that's probably the hard thing. You look back and, you know, for me, you know, I was in the best shape of my life, you know, but it was just like anything, timing, how much, I mean, you look at the domestic season, I, I you know, ran 988, beginning of the season, you know, 10, 13 into a 1.6 headwinds. I was already in shape, but the hard thing is to go for the whole year. And the Americans all knew that in overseas. They said, mate, you're not going to survive. Because when you come and meet us, we're fresh. You already have So where do you think it went wrong? I think it's that combination how to balance that. And I should have probably had that opportunity where I had that little bit of time to recover. And for me, even when I ran 993, I felt, okay, great. It's going to be a lot, a little bit more respect for me to plan my year ahead. Gotcha. Um, But that's one of the hard things because. We've never done it before. We've never had somebody rub sub 10. So it was like we're in new territory. Johnny, and what about you, mate? Do you, do you look back and say, think to yourself, I could have done more there? Or And, and what was a highlight for you personally? Yeah, definitely. I, I think watching my training partner in 2008 get a bronze medal at the Olympics in Beijing, I, I got appendicitis um, right before New York meet. Um, which is about two months before the games, and I tore my hammy trying to trying to get fit again. And oh, right. um, yeah, and and like Patrick said, until you win an Olympic individual medal, um, not so much now. I was lucky to win Commonwealth. So I went wrong, won one of the majors individually, but until you win, you know, Olympic medal, people not take mm. you seriously. But I just they just sort of rated it a bit more, you know. Um, mm. My body at work, I, I, I'm happy with it, but at that time, that's what I wanted, and and I didn't really get to achieve it, and. Sort of the way, the way I gave up on myself a little bit through through that period, I sort of carried on like a little bit like a petulant child. Like I didn't show enough resilience at that time when I look back, and um, yeah, I, I didn't realize how how what shape I really was in, and I and I reckon I could have pulled a rabbit out because my we with the, my training partner, he he we employed him to help me. So you know, he, he most of the times he couldn't keep up with me at training. So. Watching watching this happen was like, uh, yeah, it was it was a hard a hard pill to swallow. But but then I had also great moments, mate. I, like, geez, like to start at twenty one and and to go to three Olympics and five world champs and yeah, amazing. You know, and you know a number of Commonwealth Games and to win you know medal at world champs in a relay and Olympic medal last time they did in a relay was in nineteen fifty six. In um in Melbourne Olympics and you know and you know I got to number three in the world and um you know and all that you know race against the best in the world and it's it, I'm blessed man I and it's, I I can't single out one one race because every every bit of success catapulted me to another bit of success you know yeah. and and um yeah so I look back at, uh, but Melbourne was awesome racing at the G and winning in front of ninety thousand was was amazing was, stadium, was bonkers yeah. man yeah it was. And plus, I said I was going to win it, and I was talking a lot of trash, and I had to back up. I said I was <laughs> going to back, it. Was, uh, right, had to back it up. So that, and I, yeah, which was which was good. And I just, yeah, I think I think that let me down a bit. To be honest, here, because the, uh, watching Kathy win at mm, Sydney, yeah. I always wanted that moment. So once I won Commonwealth in Melbourne, nothing was going to be nothing was going to be as good. Even if I won Worlds in Berlin or or I won Olympics in Beijing, winning at home in front of your mm, crowd special. and having an experience. Yeah. That was what I. That's what. That's what was in my mind my whole career, and I think that messed me up a little bit. Once I did one once a while in Commonwealth, so I made a lot of money after that, and it was just it was hard to reset with a new goal after that. 
all yeah. I, all I knew goal was running became a business and I had sponsors now and I had to add, you know, reasons to run extra fast, pressure. which yeah. extra pressure, yeah. If you're enjoying this episode, why don't you check out a previous episode where I spoke to Ian Speed Kennedy and Roger Corsa. Hey, Patrick, I want to talk about um, some life after sport because, mate, you look at your background and what you've achieved. Like, you, you sadly lost your mum age two to a car accident. And then your dad brought you up you know, on, on a fishing trawl. And you, you attended something like 10 schools up and down the Queensland coast. You're growing up. But then but then you don't only become an Olympian. You, you go away to university. You get yourself a degree in Asian studies, politics, and human rights. You speak five languages. You also are familiar with another five Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders dialects. Like, man, do you, do you sleep, buddy? You're an unbelievable guy. Well, I've been you know, thank you, but it's just opportunity. You, you make the most of your life. And I think it's a lot easier to sit back and go, oh, woe my life, it's not what it should be. Then I'm saying, well, get out there and get it. Um, and I'm, I'm, no, I'm not no, you know, talented person. I just work hard at what I do. And, you know, I've, if I fail, then it's an opportunity to do better. You know, and that's where I've always seen my life that, but something didn't work for me, you know, or some people um, are negative towards me. I say, okay, thank you for the negativity. But yes. guess what? This is a positive life opportunity. Make it work for you. Yeah. Uh, and you'll get the right people. You get like-minded people like Don mentioned. You know, the hardest thing is, you know, you when you work so hard into something, then hopefully you have those great friendships and those people that support you uh, along the way, not only in the sport, but also outside the sport in and at the moment, I work in Deadly Choices, which is all about preventive health and community. Yep. Uh, it's all about Aboriginal culture and I was living healthier lives. You know, quit smoking, eat healthy, exercise. And, you know, you lead by example. There's no point in me going, hey, guys, you know, get out there. And for me, I've always had that passion for other people. You know, yeah, this is what it. drives our reality, yeah. that you're not helping other people, um, then where, where, where's your life? It must be hard too, Johnny. Like, um, as you're saying, athletes, you, you reach a pinnacle and then your career ends as a whole other sport. But, mate, you, you've made the transition as well. You're now into motor racing. You're going to Bathurst on Thursday to to compete up there. Mate, do you, tell us about your motor racing um, uh, joys and uh, passions there. Yes, sir. Yeah, I cannot wait, man. I love motor racing. It's just like, I think because it's very similar to track because you have like an engineer who's your coach yep. and then you have a mechanic who is like your physio and then you have other mechanics that work on other parts of the car, which is like your weights coach. So I can't run anymore. That, that's why I stopped because physically my body couldn't handle the, the load and the pressure that's required to be the best in the world. And if I, if I couldn't be the best in the world, I wasn't going to do it. And I was always my, every year I planned to be the best in the world when I was running. So I think motor racing is a really good outlet for me uh, in the sense that I get to use the professionalism I've um, attained throughout my career as a runner and then I get to work with some very talented people in motor racing to get the most out of the car. Um, and I'm, but yeah, I'm the driver. So I'm the brains and, 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 and the machine behind the car and the car is now my legs that can run as fast as it, it possibly can. And it's about these guys getting the car ready for me to, to, to go as quick as I possibly can. So that, that's been really awesome for me as an outlet um, for that real competitive drive. And I think I was really blessed because I got straight into TV post my career, um, which I think, Really helped um, uh, suffice the, uh, the 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 egotistical side of, of sport, mm. which is that adulation you get um, every time you run or you're training 
uh, where TV, I was doing live, I was doing wild order sports with Channel Nine. That that really helped uh, quench that, which we all have. We we we, we pretend we don't, but we all have no, that. It lurks, that, doesn't it? Yeah, it lurks, right? We yeah, love that adulation. Yeah. Hey, um, but and Johnny, but is it is it scary that you, you now have to put your faith in a lot of other people? So as as a track athlete, you you pretty much yes, you have your coach, but everything you put in your mouth, you train, whatever you do, that's down to you. But now you're jumping into a, a bit of machinery that you haven't built. Is that is that scary? Man, I've never thought about it that way. Thanks. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to put you off your game. No, I never thought. I think there's a level of trust, even in sports. It's the same with your coach, right? I, yeah. I went to John Smith, trained over there. And you, you know, you, you use your, your gut to, to trust the team that you're with, that, that their vocation in, in the sport. And they're once the same as you to see you be the best you possibly can be. And I was really lucky. I had great people around me in my career, my inner sanctum. And I think if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have got reached um, my full potential that I think. Because I was happy when I retired. I literally knew I exhausted myself. I, I didn't even, I didn't even go like, oh shoot, I, I, I retired early, or I knew that that was it. I tapped myself yeah. out. So, um, and I think if it wasn't for that, you know, that that really close. Um, circle of people in my team. So no, with the motor racing, I, I haven't even thought about it. The same as my team when I go there, I, I feel that same gut feeling. It's like I'm running again. They all want the very best for me. I've got really good coaches and I go in there. My job is to execute. And I think that's what we're trying to teach younger athletes now that I work mm. with, um, with Just Sprint, um, is teaching them how to, how, it's really, this is what's called high performance. It's teaching them how to get the most out of themselves. It's not just about the physical exertion. It's about how you plan mentally to get the most out of yourself because you don't even know what's in your body. Yeah, You've right. got to learn to get that out of yourself. And that's where we're practicing. We call it practice in America. We never call it training because you're practicing to get the most, most out of yourself. And that's what I really try and teach when they come to training is, okay, put everything aside. You've got 20 minutes of hard work which you can dedicate to yourself. Now dig into dig deep into, into what's in there because we're all blessed, man. Like, that's the good thing about the big man upstairs. Um, we're all bleed red. So, um, uh, uh, yes, there's some genetical um, so there's some genetics that play affect that some people, like you say in bold, have better fast twitch or are taller. But I'm, I'm a bit like PJ, man. I don't really don't take no for an answer, man. I believe mm. if another man can do it, um, I have the ability to do it too. Uh, well said. So I ask every guest that comes on the show the same question. I'll ask you first, Patrick. Um, what advice would you give to a young athlete coming through right now? Well, I really doubt about your ability. Um, if other people don't believe in you, then believe in yourself. Well. And Johnny, what, would you, what advice would you give to a young athlete coming through right now? Don't have any doubts in your ability. And if other people don't believe in you, believe in yourself. Oh, well said, mate. Well said. Well, guys, I want to thank you both. It's exactly what Patrick said. Because it's bang on. on. And and that's the only thing. And I love PJ for that. And I love that he said that. And he gave me goosebumps hearing him say that because he, he knows what it feels like. He knows what he's been able to achieve. And and I'll call a spade a spade. Patrick's never gotten his just juice for what he did in the sport of track and field and sprinting. That is a fact. And it's great hearing him say that because when other people listen to this podcast, which shoots around the world, I know they'll gain, they'll look up Patrick on Google as we were a bit before the social media and they'll mm. see what he was able to achieve. 
and and they will definitely get inspirational. And and that's definitely what I did in my career is exactly what Patrick said. I always believed in myself, and if I didn't, I would not have what I, I wouldn't be on this podcast talking today. Good. Hey boys, how are we going to go in the Olympics? Your thoughts? You, you, between you, you got the one hundred, the two hundred, the four hundred meters covered. What? what uh, how are we going to go over there? Do you think in the in the track and field? I I think the way we're going to look at our sport now is is we're going to look at as a collective. So the more athletes we see make a final, we've got to really celebrate that because there's a lack of education in, 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 in Australian sporting uh, culture that we, we only celebrate the winners in most sports, but track and field is very different. Like Patrick alluded to earlier is that the whole world gets to run. You don't need much. Like you literally can, I Patrick, tell me if I'm wrong. We can train on a beach and we Mm. can make the Olympics. If you've got a good enough coach, and you have the ability, you can train on the front of your row. We can use have a, we can have a straight of 200 meters and I can train you to at least make the Olympic team for Australia, right? And then becoming the best in the world is a whole different story, but I'm talking about making the team. So mm. we have to really encourage these kids when they make a file. That is that Dan Paff once said, my job as a coach is to get, Dan Paff, just to give you a background, he's a very good coach who coached Donovan Bailey, Abuni Sarin, um, uh, What's the other young bloke from Bahamas? Abedeli Thompson um, and a number of other sprinters. Um, all, and if you do your research, you'll find they, they were great sprinters, the three names I just mentioned. And Dan Paff uh, once said that it's my job to get my athlete to the final. Once in the final, it's up to them, right? Because he believed the final is as good as winning. You're in the top eight in the world and anybody can win that race. So it's his job to make the final. So if our athletes make the final, they've done an amazing job. We need to celebrate that body of work. Now will we win? I think we win a couple of medals. I think we'll. I think we have a very good chance in the javelin. We have a nice chance in the high jump with with, um, with young um, young Stark. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I like the Stuart McSwain from Tasmania young distance runner. But it's just so hard when you take on because the the, the Kenyans and Ethiopians when you get to a championship they run they run tactically very very smart. They don't care yeah. who wins. And then they so unfortunately Stu will probably going there by himself and have to take on the tactics of running, running the five or the 10 K or the 15. So, um, you know, I, I think it's really hard for us in those blue ribbon events to win because the whole, like I said, the whole world gets to compete. But uh, I think we just got to look at the body of work. The more I think to make semis and finals as a, as a, as a collective, as a team, I think we've got to celebrate that. I totally agree, mate. Listen, guys, I appreciate you both coming on the show. Appreciate your time. What I also do appreciate is the the amount of work you've both done for athletics in this country. Um, you have been great ambassadors um, through and throughout, and you're still helping out young potential kids coming through the system now. Um, so well done, guys. I really appreciate your time. That's it for Lunch With Lee this week. A big thank you goes out to our guests, John Stevenson and Patrick Johnson. Thanks to Hilton Headley for your hard work behind the scenes and making things happen. And thanks to our sponsors, Growth Workshop Business Coaching, Spartan Sports and O'Brien Beer. Make sure you hit subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. And do us a favour, hit five stars. If you're passionate, leave a review. And come check us out on our socials. I'm at Lunch With Lee. Next week, we'll be chatting some more complete legends about sport, music and business on another cracker episode of Lunch With Lee. We'll see you then. Yeah.